You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Episode 134 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Job Creators. Job Creators is a Boston-based psychedelic math rock duo that formed in 2012. The band creates a unique blend of intricate grooves, rock and roll swagger, and cerebral soundscapes. The duo has played sold-out shows all across the Northeast, including New York's Independent Venue Week and Boston's WEMF Radio Festival. Their latest album, Dream Harvest, debuted in April 2020. For more information on job creators, you can find them on all of the streaming platforms as well as jobcreatorsband.com. Now here it is, their new single, Trust Fall. There's no more clinging to that which dies. And there's just a
It is now 2024, and the choice is up to you. Do you listen to good podcasts, or do you listen to bad ones? Well, we've got a suggestion for you. How about you listen to a good podcast for the first time in your miserable life? I can think of one. Overnight Drive. Going Strong. 11 years now. The podcast about nothing. Your favorite podcast's favorite podcast. Do you enjoy nothing? <laughs> so do we. Why don't you come over and check it out and stop listening to other podcasts? Thank you. Hey, I'm Peanut from 311, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour. everybody out there in podcast land what is going on as always this is chris swinney and i am your host for that one time on tour if you're joining me for the first time this is my podcast where i get to sit down with somebody in or around the entertainment industry and have a stellar conversation i hope you are all doing well out there and staying safe and healthy i know i talk about it every week But this pandemic is getting out of control. For the last seven days here in my home state of Indiana, we've had the highest percentage of positive cases per capita of anywhere else in the country. Uh, Today at a press conference, our governor actually said, and I'm quoting this, we are on fire. Indiana is on fire. My guitar students have been dropping like flies. Either they've, you know, been contact traced or uh, they've tested positive themselves. It's just, it's so scary out there. And I just, I urge all of you to wear your masks, follow all the social distancing and hand washing protocols, all the stuff they're telling you to do. I care about all of you out there and I want you to stay safe. I would like to uh, give a special shout out to my buddy Marcelo from Brazil. He's an avid listener of the podcast and I've gotten to know him over, you know, he emails me all the time and he's a really good dude and his wife and his kids, they, they, they've all had COVID and uh, I just wanted him to know that I'm pulling for them and uh, I, I hope they're doing better. I know they're recovering right now, but Brazil has been pretty, has been hit really hard, kind of like the United States. So shout out to all my Brazilian listeners, especially Marcelo and his family. I hope you guys are doing better. So no more pandemic talk. Let's talk about today. Let's talk about the program. Today on the program, I got to chat with Aaron Peanut Wills from 311. Yes, all mixed up. Down. Love song. So many great. I mean, 311, they've had so many hits. They've been around forever. I love them. Uh, My sister and I, we never really agreed on a lot of bands growing up. But we agreed on 311. I went and saw them live a couple times. We had their enlarged to show detail 
like home movie and uh, we watched it religiously. And uh, I've been a fan of these guys for a long time. And it was so, so cool to have Peanut on the show. Uh, his bass lines have always really spoke to me. Like there's only certain bass players that I really get into. It's like, you know, of course, Cliff Burton from Metallica and, you know, my buddy Matt from No Use for a Name and Face to Face, Matt Riddle. He's amazing. And there's a lot of bass players that I just, the kind of, they're bass players. I mean, no offense to bass players, but I'm a guitar player and I like the bass players that are kind of flashy, but that's the cool thing about Peanut is yeah, he's got some flash to him, but he just holds it down, man. The guy, really good melodic sensibilities in his bass playing. And I was really excited to talk to him kind of about that stuff too. We talk a lot about some of the music theory stuff that goes into writing bass lines and uh, why he plays five string or four string and we talk about a lot of cool music stuff. So all of you music nerds out there, you're going to get your fix on that as well. But uh, I just think the combo of him and Chad Sexton, the drummer of 311, they make such a great rhythm section. I can't imagine 311, like kind of the stuff they do. It's Some of it is kind of you know hip-hop influence. There's some rap. There's some reggae. I can't imagine that without that foundation, that, that really, really strong rhythm section of Peanut and Chad. So uh, the band, 311, they just turned 32 years old this year, which is quite a feat for any act, but they have had the same lineup pretty much the entire time. We talk about that on the episode as well. Uh, Tim Mahoney, their guitar player, he came in like a year after they started, but pretty much they've had the same initial lineup since they started, and that is crazy. You pick a band and tell me a band that's done that for over 30 years. It's pretty insane. But we talk about the upcoming live stream and drive-in events that they have, a bunch of history on the band, his love for TOTOT alum Baroness, which I told him I'm going to try to hook up a tour with Baroness. I've got some pull over there, so I'll, I'll see what I can do. Uh, we talk about a bunch of other cool stuff as well. It's it's a great episode. You're really going to like it. Peanut was He couldn't have been a nicer guy. So before I get to my conversation with Peanut, I need to pay some bills. The band that sponsored this episode is their second time sponsoring. Thank you guys so much. Job Creators. Uh, you guys can check them out at jobcreatorsband.com. My buddy Gary over at parts concert, partscasterconcierge.com. He builds guitars. He consults on guitars. I think he's building pedal enclosures now. He's doing all kinds of cool stuff. So hit him up over at partscasterconcierge.com. If you guys need artwork for your band or for anything at all, you need to check out sbam.rocks, spam.rocks. They did the logo for the show. They did some of the new artwork for the t-shirts that are going to be in the, the merch store very soon. They have a festival, a record label, all kinds of cool stuff, and they've done artwork for your favorite band. 90% of the bands that have been on this show, Spam has done the artwork. So check them out, sbam.rocks. Back on the ride, my buddy Jacob Harrison over at Permanence Tattoo Gallery on Meridian Street in downtown Anderson, Indiana. If you guys are in the central Indiana area and you want to get some ink, hit him up. You can go, you can find them on all the socials at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. I'm, I'm starting to not feel really good. I apologize if this is coming out weird. But uh, last but not least on the sponsor train, we've got our buddies over at BetterHelp.com. Do you guys feel stressed out because of the pandemic? You know, do you have anxiety? If you have any kind of mental health issues whatsoever, 
Therapy is a really good option. Counseling, it's a great option. I'm a champion for counseling, a champion for getting your mental health in order. So if any of that sounds like something you need to take care of, you can head on over to BetterHelp, that is H-E-L-P dot com forward slash T-O-T-O-T, and you're going to get 10% off your first month. But it's already a killer deal. It's cheaper than traditional in like face-to-face, like in-person counseling, and they're going to match you with a perfect therapist. It's amazing. Check it out and get 10% off just for listening to this podcast. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash T-O-T-O-T. If you have a band or company and you would like to sponsor an episode, it's super easy to get in touch with me. Hit me up, T-O-T-O-T podcast at gmail.com or at T-O-T-O-T podcast on any of the socials. If you want to help out the program, check out our Patreon. It is patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast. We have some bonus material over there, and hopefully I'll be adding more to that very soon. If you would like to send a one-time donation to help the show out, you can hit up my Venmo. It is at Christopher Swinney. That is C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R-S-W-I-N-N-E-Y. The best way to help the show out, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. I would like to give a shout out to our art director, Sarah, over at Road Dog Supply. She does all the artwork for the episodes. She's doing the merchandise. Uh, she's always trying to get me to do like cool marketing stuff that I'm too lazy to do. So uh, you can hit her up over at RoadDogSupply.com. But uh, we just added new sticker packs in the merch store, so make sure to check that out. We will also have new merch very, very soon. That's another way you can help out the show is buy some merch. Get yourself a T-shirt or something. It would be awesome. We have a new kids line, T-O-T-O-T Tots. We have all kinds of cool stuff. All of that information and all of the information I just talked about you can get it at TOTOTpodcast.com. Also, if you're on Facebook, make sure to sign up for the TOTOT Community Facebook group and sign up for our mailing list because we send out cool stuff, contests and info on the show. And you can do all that at our website, TOTOTpodcast.com. Once again, check it out. Okay, so uh, the only segment I have today, I was trying to debate what I was going to do. But lately, I've been kind of... Uh, I don't know, man. I'm I'm in my early 40s, and all of my tour diary stuff is like from my first band, my high school band. But there's all these really crazy things that have happened when I've been on the road with other bands. And I was listening to my buddy Dewey Halpus, a uh, peer pleasure podcast the other day. He had Spencer on from uh, from Under Oath, and Spencer was talking about you know doing these uh, these off day shows during Warp Tour in 2004, and it reminded me that we did a lot of those shows with him. I was in a band called Brazil on fearless records. And, uh, basically that kind of sparked my, like this idea. I'm going to start writing down stories and I don't know, maybe one day I'll have them on the website or hell, maybe one day I'll like self publish a little tiny book or something. I don't know, but I have a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of stories. And this story is not all fleshed out and awesome, but I want to tell this story. Uh, I have this written down as tour story, possible book, question mark. So uh, I'm just, I wrote this out kind of like I was writing a book, but I'm just going to compile all these stories and see what I've got. So this is the story that I remembered when I was listening to Spencer on Peer Pleasure with my buddy Dewey. So uh, here we go. It's kind of like a tour diary, but it's a little bit different. So here we go. 
When I was touring with the band Brazil back in 2004 on the Vans Warp Tour, we were playing the Smart Punk stage. On the stage with us was this little band from Florida called Under Oath. On our days off, we would play club shows with Under Oath. They were in an old bus and we were in a van. Actually, they were in a few buses as they kept breaking down. On one of the off days, we were slated to play the Auto Bar in Baltimore, Maryland. The show was sold out and went off without a hitch. After the show, a member of Brazil went missing. I won't name any names, but maybe the mystery will be solved if they ever come on the show. We looked everywhere and could not find him. The Under Oath guys were getting ready to leave, so we said our goodbyes. I walked them out of the venue and to their bus. As I stood there on the curb behind the venue, I glanced down at the back bus tire, and lo and behold, there he was. Our missing bandmate was using the tire as a pillow. He was passed out. I sprung into action and snatched him up right before the bus lurched forward. If not for my swiftness, that may have been his last stop on the tour. As was the case with many off days, alcohol was a chosen pastime of many of the band members. When you are bored on the road, it is hard to know when to stop indulging. As was also the case when drunk on tour, you look for anywhere that looks comfortable when you want to lay down. And I guess in my friend's drunken state, the curb next to the bus was a desired spot. We also saw the biggest rats in the world in the alley behind the venue. They reminded me of the rodents of unusual size from The Princess Bride. Over the years, I wonder how many partied-out musicians met their demise at the auto bar and became a buffet for the rats. So that's a little like passage from my probably never-to-be-released little storybook of tour stuff that's happened to me. So yeah, I just uh, I heard Spencer talking about that, and I remembered. I was like, oh, we played those shows with them, and and a friend of mine who will remain nameless almost got ran over by their tour bus. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that little that little nugget of uh, of tour life. But uh, that is it for the intro. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm not gonna wait any longer. I'm gonna give you what you came for. This is my conversation with Aaron Peanut Wills from the awesome band 311. Hope you guys enjoy it. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Mr. Peanut from 311. What's going on, man? Not Mr. Peanut, but I guess just Peanut from 311. I've been accused of worse. I think <laughs> I think I think me and Mr. Peanut have a have a shared responsibility for making legumes palatable <laughs> and and cool. It's funny like I I always, you know, check people out online. Like I know a lot about your career. I've been listening to the band for a while, but uh, I always go on Wikipedia and uh it says at the top of the 311 Wikipedia page, it's like it has peanut and it says if you're looking for the legume, please press here. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case. Just in case I got there my mistake, right? <laughs> That's so funny. So uh, the way that, you know, first off, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on the program. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm honored. Uh, thanks, man. And uh, the first time, the first thing that I always say at the beginning of these, like the recent episodes, we're in the middle of this pandemic. It's kind of weird. Nobody's ever really dealt with it before. How is it affecting you and kind of your day-to-day life? Um, it, I mean, in, in multiple ways, um, you know, I love being home with the kids. Honestly, uh, I was kind of asking for a, for some time off, you know, from bouncing around in a tour bus every, every year for 
20 plus 25 plus years you know it's it's uh it's been a lot so i feel myself relaxing in those ways but then of course you know everything shut down uh not being able to uh fully enjoy the the city that uh that we live in um uh, is is you know it makes it tough but we've done a couple of road trips to friends and that's been nice and you know the kids can do school from wherever so there's all that but the general anxiety that goes along with dealing with something that no one's ever dealt with that's alive anymore um is 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 rough it's rough on everybody and you know with the total lack of leadership it's made it all the more difficult and completely avoidable but you know the present tense is the present tense and i think we're dealing with it the best we can i guess on 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 you know like on a community level but yeah it's it's uh, unfortunate it's it's where it's at and uh, i think you know most of all i see my kids dealing with it really well i see them, i see my kids dealing with it better than the adults are <laughs> yeah I, how old are your kids i've got a 6 year old and a 10 year old cuz I, I have toddlers i have a 4 year old and a 3 year old and they're, they're kind of just freaked out that we can't go to grandma's house all the time. That's, that's about the only thing, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Those little things. Right. And that adds up. You're like, Oh man, I want to go to grandma's too. And <laughs> of course you should be going to your grandma's and yeah, it's tough. It's, it's, it's really difficult. I miss movies. Oh dude. Yeah. I haven't been to a movie. I think the last movie my wife went to with me was, uh, we went and saw the new it movie last year. It's been that long, cool. man. <laughs> so I, I, it seems like you, like me, you know, I, I played music as well. I toured most of my adult life. I kind of waited to have kids till I was about in my mid to late thirties. Is that kind of how it was for you as well? Yep. I was 36. So did you, do you find that? I know you guys, this is really the first big break you've had, but, uh, I always kind of never knew if I was going to be a dad. And then finally, I'm kind of glad it happened later in life because I got to get out there and tour and do everything without having that. Is it hard for you to leave the family when you guys go on the road? I mean, I'm so used to it. It's so baked into the the normalcy. I think I think not doing it has been really strange. And something that like I like I said in the in the last answer, um, I kind of wanted it, but but now I find myself so used to traveling and so you know so used to being around the guys for months and months that uh i really do miss it you know i genuinely uh it's such a part of me that taking a break helped me reflect on it a a bunch i really miss playing shows of course and you know since we've all been in the band together so long and been through so much together um taking this break when we all need that release i know we lean on each other uh, wordlessly when we're when we're playing music so uh you know it's tough not having that that uh that connection and that, and that, uh, just that understanding, that communication that, that only we kind of share. So it's, it's difficult, but it's, it's workable. Just got to talk it out with other people. <laughs> so you're, you're talking about how long you guys have been in the band. Uh, this year is the 30 year anniversary of the band. And the one thing that I always thought was cool is that you know, I've been following you guys since Grassroots. Uh, I, got, I came to the party with music a little bit later after I got Grassroots, but you guys have pretty much had the same lineup for the entire mu- the entirety of the band. I know there was like an early guitarist before Tim came on board. 
what do you attribute that to? Because so many bands have so many lineup changes over the years. I mean, you guys, three decades in, it's kind of those first guys that left Omaha, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, Tim came in in the first year of the band, like at the tail end of that first year, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And, and, uh, and, and I don't know, I think it goes into the message of the, of the band, the, the message that we'd spit out and have, and, and that's been a part of us since day one is, uh, especially coming up when we did every, everything seems so dark. And there was that, that heroin tinge, on popular music, rock music, if, if you will, um, that, that we didn't really relate with. It was like, oh, you know, it's, it's tough, you know, in the, in the Pacific Northwest when you're, when you're not taking care of yourself, you know, and it would be a depressing environment to be in. Um, so, so we, we, we loved that music. We, we, we looked up to those musicians. We really did, but we didn't share that point of view and, and, and never really have. I mean, I was, those, those were some of my biggest heroes. We were listening to Soundgarden tapes that friends made in college when they would show up at their dorms and, and, and play and, <laughs> and, and, you know, new bleach before Nevermind came out, of course. And, and all these things just, they they were a part of our sound, but we wanted to have it reflect our personalities. And I think that um, just that leaning on the positive side of things is probably what kept us together because the the fan appreciation is so uh, is is so deep. You know, we get we get letters and emails and uh, used to get more letters. But now we get more emails, so it's good. And 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 of course, social media ticks. Just hey, this is tough. This is a tough time. This is what I'm hearing now. We're we're going through this. I'm I'm really appreciating the lyrics and the message of the band, and uh, can't wait to see you guys. So that that's kind of like the best thing we can do is is stay together and keep pushing the message that you know is a is a big big part of us and something that the fans rely on. I, I always liked as well, like I was a big fan of the the first documentary Enlarge the Show Detail. I know you guys have done a couple other, like, you know, two and three. But the cool thing about that first documentary, when I was getting into you guys and really starting to become a fan, you guys truly seem like friends. And there's a lot of bands out there that aren't really like that. I mean, I've been in bands before where you just kind of had to keep the machine going so people got paid, but maybe you weren't really close or friends or you used to be friends with the guys, but it changed you guys in every interview or anything. It still just feels like you guys are really close and really good friends. That's, that's very inspiring to me because a lot of bands aren't like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy. We're very different. Um, but we, we share that, that connection that, you know, only band, bandmates can do and especially over decades of uh appreciating each other's differences and similarities that we can uh you know keep our best foot forward and, and keep 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 it going and keep it fun you know it, it it would be a drag if it wasn't fun and it can be easy to to miss those those positive moments if you are you know, I don't know, argumentative or uh, you feel like you've been slighted or, or not listened to. So you just gotta, you gotta be honest and talk it out and, you know, I don't know, wait for the pandemic to let you have, take a break from it all. 
So I want to get into a little bit of your history. I'm very interested. Uh, I know the band's from Omaha, but I found out recently that you actually were born in Indianapolis, which I was born in Muncie. That's where I live currently. I've lived other places during my life, but I've found myself back in Indiana. Um, how long did you live in Indiana before you found yourself in Nebraska? I was in Indiana for like six months. Okay. <laughs> and we moved down south. We went to Florida for a little bit. We were panhandling in in Florida. I'm, my my dad was a preacher. I'm a chaplain in the Air Force and uh, was starting like a new church on base, like in in Florida and then moved to Alabama and uh, my folks split up and I was spent time in Missouri. This was all before I was four and then uh, made my way to Omaha in the winter of 78. Okay. Yep. So, you know, being in Omaha, I always kind of, I was inspired by you guys because Midwest is kind of a different place. Indiana, um, Nebraska, it's all kind of the same. A lot of conservativeness, you know, Bible Belt type stuff. Um, when you guys got the band going, had you been in many other bands before that? Or was 311 kind of the first one that was really serious for you? I had been in different garage bands and I had played a, a few like parties with with friends and had a great time. And really like, you know, there's that just twist of the twist of the tail where everything's different. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, just, there's so much talent among, uh, the music fans that, that we were in our, in our circle that I grew up with that we, they were great musicians, uh, great singers mostly and, and great players here and there in the periphery that just turned themselves into great musicians because they loved music so much. And I think, we in the in the band we really all share that that was one of the things when we moved together in 92 um, to come out to California we shared so much music because we lived in the same house we were were on on top of you know each other's ideas and uh, and sharing um, what was new and what was turning us on uh, with you know musically and it was just it was amazing so and I, and I loved that growing up as, as a kid, it, it, it was, uh, you know, we'd be listening to Jane's addiction and then we'd put on James Brown and, and, and there wasn't much to do except for drive around and listen to music and how, how great that was at 15, 16 and 17 in Omaha, Nebraska with the, with the friends I had. And it was a musical education. And like I said, they were great. You know, the people I was hanging out with were, incredible singers and i couldn't I, I still you know i wish i i wish i could but i always just concentrated on playing and learning all these songs and all these different styles that were being thrown around in the bands in the present tense in the early 90s as well as everything that was going on in the 70s and the 60s that was really exciting for us so it was just a, it was a great time to be listening to everything because i was playing you know three hours a day when you first decided that like you wanted to play an instrument was bass your first choice? I was pushed into playing violin first when I was seven. So, so was I at seven. Yeah. Cool. No idea that, that, that shit works. Yeah. You know, it, there was a really uh, good, I hope he's a motivational speaker. 
somewhere in the world because he talked me into being a musician in a you know in a, an assembly in in second grade and he all he did is hold, he held the guitar he held the violin like a guitar so you know it was uh it was it was that's all i needed he's of course you can do it like this and then they taught me how to play uh fingering with my left hand and bowing with my right hand but i'm i'm left-handed so i've been playing bass like that ever since and i just got the hey, do it yourself kind of analog as a kid understanding that when you make music with other people, it's really, really fun. You know, even if you're playing the same notes together in a, in an orchestra in a very beginner orchestra, um, it, when you pull it off, when everyone gets it together, that, that cohesion, that satisfaction from, I don't know, doing it as a team, it was really influential to me and made me really excited about getting in the garage with the early bands that I, that I played with. And then eventually, uh, running into Chad Sexton, our drummer, and emotionally and probably physically handcuffing him to me um, so we could make this you know, rhythm section work for, for decades and decades and, and you know, and, and travel the world together. Well, I, I will say that, uh, you know, you and Chad are one of my favorite rhythm sections. I just think you guys lock in so tight live. And of course, in the studio, when you were when you were first playing the bass and you were getting all this going, you were mentioning, you know, kind of the Seattle bands and mentioning Jane's Addiction. Were those the bands that kind of influenced you into how you would become a bassist? I mean, did you have a lot of actual bass players that influenced you back then? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I was I was a big metalhead when I was a kid when I first picked up the instrument. So I was all Steve Harris and uh, and Cliff Burton, primarily. And Cliff Burton really, really, you know, showed me the way as far as making it such a, I mean, and Steve Harris, it's such a melodic instrument. Like you can make it foundational and, and you will, cause that's the gig, but the, that little bit of well-timed melody and getting unhinged perhaps um, is, is a great thing. It's, it's just, a, you know, it's an expressive tool more on the downplayed side of things with so much room for innovation because there's not that many players that, I don't know, feel like they, you know, love the instrument, especially when I was growing up, it seemed like it was, you know, it was a, a job that was regulated to, to someone that really didn't want to do it. But I saw bass players killing it in, in Mark King and, and Steve and Cliff, like I was saying, and, and, uh, you know, Joy Division's bass player and, and just, th there's this, Innovation, this wild innovation that was being downplayed because of uh, all the guitar heroes at the time, which is fine. I didn't want to be a guitar hero. I, I love them. I look up to them. But I just always thought it was more interesting to to have an instrument that didn't seem like it was being exploited as much where I could I, I felt like I could express myself and carve my own path without you know, looking like Eddie Van Halen on the bass. <laughs> so you guys, the, you, look. <laughs> you, you guys have so many influences and I mean, you wear them on your sleeve. Cause when I listen to 311, it could be reggae. It could be ska influence metal. There could be some rap in there. I mean, it's, there's so much stuff going on when you guys are writing songs, even way back then, was that a conscious thing because you guys listen to so much and you just said, this is what we're going to sound like or I mean, I mean, how did that go when you guys first started writing that stuff back in the day? Yeah, it was a given as far as like the influences that we were all over the map, especially as a as a five piece that um, 
that that when when those ideas came up like oh you know maybe we should have a, like a, a reggae part you know or we should start with reggae and then go into rock with uh you know like welcome or something like that um it just made sense I and mean, i i was a beginner reggae fan when i joined the band and really was playing along with it as a you know as a as a person that needed to learn as much as I could when I was first listening to it at all. You know, I, I heard some Bob Marley singles and, and stuff like that and probably legalized it a few times for reasons unknown, but, <laughs> but really fell in love with like the deep cuts and the, and all the different genres there within reggae with Rocksteady and dub and, and uh, you know, and just how cool and amazing this one tiny little Island you know, and in an area in general, uh, could come up with such a specific sound and 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 with all these variants that were uh, just soul food for us as teenagers. You know, it, it really it, and especially with having bass be um, such a huge aspect of the music from Jamaica, uh, really really turned me on. And I was thankful for being in a band that I don't know allowed those influences to come in because. It's just total freedom, especially when we just got started. I tell you, man, I uh, a few years back, uh, right when my son was born, I took a consulting job at Margaritaville down in uh, Montego Bay. And it, I had to like basically be the entertainment czar guy for all of the locations on the island. And everywhere I went, no matter where I was, I heard 311. So you guys, <laughs> you guys are massive in Jamaica. Have you guys ever played down there? Yeah, we've played a couple of times. Um, we we played at um, it was a place called Nick's on uh, down in Montego Bay, and and it was great. It wasn't it wasn't huge by any means, but there were some locals there, and and some people flew in. It was it was like a paid vacation, you know. It yeah, was, it was fun, it was fun to do the show, and then just being there was was you know one of the best parts of it, and then we brought one of our cruises to Jamaica, but I, I don't, yeah, I don't think we played on the Island when we were there. So maybe that doesn't count, but you know, maximum respect as the, as the locals say, it's just, it's hard to believe that that much just like world dominating influence where if you say reggae, you, you know, and you don't know where it came from, there's a, there's a place where it came from yeah. and the way in English, you know, the English people and, and the Americans kind of synthesized it. Uh, is is incredible too i mean where, where would the police be without that huge huge influence you know and we and we took from those guys we we enjoyed their influence same with the clash where uh anything goes you know is it, if it's cool let's let's put it on tape you know and see if it flies so you were talking earlier about you know leaving omaha going out to california you know, as the story goes, I, I've read on the internet, I've also watched the documentary that, you know, it says after a few months, you guys signed to Capricorn. What was it like on the way out to California? Was it scary? And then how soon after you got there, did things start kind of kicking off? Um, it was a little scary. I mean, I was 17 and I was going cross country with a bunch of you know, 21 year olds, which, <laughs> which was more exciting than scary, but it, it was, it was literally scary because it was February and, and our first stop was Denver. Wow. So we drove from Omaha, Omaha to Denver. It's like eight hours. No big, no big deal. 
good time to snack and listen <laughs> yeah. to music. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I saw mountains for the first time. I'd never seen the mountains before. It was incredible, you know, and we, and we left early enough that we saw, you know, the shadows of the, of the sunset going through the mountains and everything. And, um, me and Chad went and saw a movie and I'm trying to think of the name of the movie. Um, <laughs> but, but whatever. And, and, uh, and, you know, as we, I think we stayed a day or whatever and, and then left. And, and as we were leaving, we had to get out of the mountains and it was snowing like crazy. And we had a U-Haul and everything was just packed full of people and junk. And uh, it was, it was dangerous. I mean, we were used to snowy driving growing up in the Midwest, but not at 6,000 feet, you know, yeah. it's a whole different thing up, up there. So it was, that was a little nerve wracking, but getting to California, um, we made it to Nevada, I think that on that drive and then uh, slept in a parking lot of a casino like you're supposed to do. And then <laughs> we always slept in the, we always slept in Walmart parking lots on tour. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Find, find space. Yeah. Find space. Yeah. And that's a, and that's a good one. We, I've woken up in so many gigantic parking lots, all disoriented from all that. So yeah, it's, 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 it's a good thing. And, and then making it to California, seeing, seeing the sun go down in California for the first time going over the Hills and just incredible. Um, when we landed in California, Eddie Offord was at our doorstep with a, with like a, with a box of, of bread and milk and, and butter and stuff. He, he knew we were coming and we had, we had attention from Capricorn. I think like the little bit of hint of an interest before we left because, um, Nick bought the, Nick, our lead singer bought the, um, if you want to get signed to a record label book that was out in the eighties, <laughs> yeah. early nineties. I had, it, I had that book too. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a better name than that, yeah. but, but that's the point. And it was, it was, it had a list of all the radio stations and all the, and all the record labels. Um, and you could send them demos and stuff. And, uh, and we did, and we sent it to everyone that we thought would be interested on the college rock kind of scene. So, um, we got a we had a fan at a jazz label and she shopped our tape around actually and helped us get in touch with uh, the capricorn guys and and with eddie offer being a part of the the you know the deal um as he was already emotionally involved thankfully um and we were recording with him in two weeks at, uh, at, at a studio called Cherokee Studios where the Jacksons, when they were kids, did a bunch of work and we ran into Bill Bib DeVoe there, which is perfect for the time. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, met, and met our long-term collaborator, um, Scotch Ralston, in those sessions. So things got moving really, really fast. By the time I came home to get my diploma from, um, from my high school, we had the we had signed the record contract. Wow! So it was it was like less than five months that we came back or that I came back, um, you know, with a with a lot of work to do because uh, you know there was a that first impression to make with ourselves and 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 the and the unseen audience that was had yet to hear what we were doing, and and then and then having that that wildness with really everything was up for grabs. We wanted it to be um live you know something that you could listen to live but there was that i don't know innate kind of sensitivity built into it too where where it wasn't just a, a you know a metal bludgeoning fest of 
of symbols and and meow, meow, you know we're gonna we're gonna bring it down and that was that was one of the things when we started touring uh realizing that other bands didn't have that 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 kind of range even even in bands that had a ton of range they weren't uh capable of i don't know like independently capturing a, a female audience so that was that was always that was always something that just seemed to work for us because we had you know tim being a, a like a huge deadhead and sa being like a soul music aficionado and then chad chad being a drum corps alt music head and me i was punk rock and metal and i think nick is pretty much the same but but we all had so much range and we wanted to show the emotional range of of a band and and i think we've i don't know it's always been good for us it's another reason why we've uh kept together uh it's because you know you've got to be aware of all those all those emotions and then having the the females take their stubborn men to our shows has <laughs> has helped has helped too <laughs> yeah i can't remember what it was i was watching some show and it was some musician or some rock star guy he's like you know you've made it when half the crowd is chicks <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know we haven't we never cracked it that far but that's yeah that's that's a different kind of <laughs> perfect success because that's probably not going anywhere i mean i yeah. always think about the metal the metal audience as such a dev devout they're like horror film fans they're not going anywhere they just want more of it yeah. you know like it and and it can get as dark and loud as possible and those shows will be full to the to the brim <laughs> with behemoth and gojira fans yeah. and it's it's just it's it's amazing I, I think it's so cool so we've got our own little subculture too that's you know, that's, I don't know, you know, multi, multi-limbed hybrid, you know, emotionally all over the map kind of band. And, and I, I, I love all those subcultures in our, in our big giant world society. I, I had this question and, and please don't take this the wrong way, but so many bands that kind of came up and got popular when you guys did, I actually have a lot of friends in those bands and and they tell me this sometimes it bothers them. Sometimes it doesn't. You get lumped into that like kind of nineties nostalgia. I don't feel that way with you guys because with your cruise and three eleven day and everything, I feel like you have that loyal fan base of like a, like a Dave Matthews band or like the dead. Like when I meet somebody that is a fan of three eleven, they're not just a fan. They're like obsessed about three eleven. So what do you attribute that to you guys kind of not falling into that nostalgia thing, being a legacy act? Cause I know you're still writing, you're putting stuff out and people love it. It's a different vibe from three eleven, And I really like that. What do you attribute that to? Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's subjective. Yeah. Hey, Claire. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Claire, what's up? Uh, I, I think, I think probably most people do lump us into that kind of nostalgic. Oh, that's a nineties band kind of you know mindset for for 311 but we've got enough people that know the know the truth and know the you know that we are um always touring and always putting on great shows um and and trying to do new things um and tr and and you know actively trying to stay relevant you yeah. know we don't we don't want to be a heritage band um um, not that there's any shame in that, you know, if you're around for 30 years, that's, that's pretty crazy. I think about like, if you, if your band started in 1980 and, you know, if you were in Berlin or something 
and and you were playing with a band like you were opening up for a band that's been around for 30 years that started in like 1950 <laughs> like, what a what a you know just a monumental shift that, that there is in 30 years and maybe it doesn't feel like it as much anymore for for us perhaps but i think as as history reflects on on itself we'll we'll see that it really was you know a, a long time and and how much has changed and 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 how it's a perfect fit for a band that has a you know a, a wide birth yeah. of uh, of of influences and capabilities and and fans who who are behind us emotionally and uh and you know i don't i don't know i i feel like they've always championed us to uh, be ourselves and since we are a little uh left of center um musically and we're not for everybody like it's there isn't any gray area like you're like you're kind of saying like the fans are 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 in it to win it um and and if you're not you know you probably thought we disappeared 20 years ago you know that and I, we run into that and there's people who had never heard of us before which i love even though we sold 10 million albums yeah. and been doing it for as long as possible there's there's always room to grow um there's always room to you know po- polish what you're doing and keep it fresh and uh, and there should be room to do work outside of you know your main gig if, if you're a if you're an artist or a musician or, or or a bartender you can you can stretch out you know and i i have a lot of fun with with uh playing with other people and and just writing in general even if it doesn't go anywhere so i don't know all, all those things go into uh being ourselves and and keeping it together for as long as possible so, you know, you were mentioning that some people might have thought you guys went away. Uh, I know that here recently, some of the records have been self-released again. Right. Is is that a, a big undertaking or is management handling that for you guys? What was your kind of deciding factor in doing the self-release thing again? I know it's kind of nowadays, if you have fans and you have a back catalog, a label really doesn't do a lot for you, right? Yeah, I mean we're we're we've released the last two albums on BMG and we were self-releasing before that for for a couple of years and I th- honestly I think we were a couple of years late or more than a couple of years late on on doing the self-release because uh building up your your label and there was a time for that and it was probably like 15 years ago and and now yeah, I mean now management is the record label to the you know, to a lot of degrees. Um, but I like, I like releasing albums on an imprint. There's, there's, it, 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 it travels a little further. Um, uh, just it's, it feels like, um, but yeah, it, it, it's all changed so much. You know, we, we got in the tail end of tape and, uh, and, you know, grew up with cassette players in our car. And then I think Nick was the first person I saw that had more than like six cds <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then uh and now those you know those are relics the end of the, under themselves as we as we stream everything now yeah. and can listen to you know we can listen to african 70s dream pop if we want to and then go, go into adele and not blink an eye uh with the you know with the how, how far you can take these influences and how easily you can tap into everything that's going on around the world right now. I mean, I've got, I can, I can name a, a couple of Danish bands that I love, you know, that I, that I just stumbled upon that, you know, just blow my mind and, 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 
you know, everything that's going on in America and what the kids are doing, it's, it's just amazing. And LCD sound system, and just, it's a, it's a wonderful time for music. I don't, I can't hear it any other way. I get a little stressed out. Like I'm kind of an old school guy. I'm a couple years younger than you. We're right in the same ballpark. I was born in 78. I think you were born in 74. Um, yep. I'm an old school guy where I love CDs. I love vinyl. I love tapes. And I love the streaming services and I use Spotify and Apple music all the time, but I get stressed out because there's so much out there and I don't know how to find the stuff that I like. Do you have a, a, a way that you find new bands on the streaming sites? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll listen to the suggestions. You know, I was, I, I, I love the Apple music, new music Fridays. Um, usually that's what I'll listen to for the majority of the week. If I'm not, in love with the you know new Baroness album that came out last year, or or Fleet Foxes new album that I'm enjoying very much right now, and was just trying to play. Um, could we get yeah, a 311 it, it, Baroness tour? I could help you. Oh hook. god, that, dude, my 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 old bass player for the Ataris is their monitor guy, and his fiance is their tour manager. Let's hook it up. <laughs> oh man, that'd be great. I I just I think what they're doing is so incredible. Oh, it's amazing, man. Yeah, they're they're so smart and so so free and so capable of uh, surprises and uh, and you know you're gonna love it. I my brother sent me uh, probably four of their first albums um, before Golden Gray came out, and I had no idea. You know, my brother my brother's taught me you know over half of what I know about music, especially when I was a kid and. And uh, and still feeds me great stuff nowadays. He, his like favorite thing is texting me incessantly <laughs> in the evening and talking about the local radio in Lincoln, Nebraska, playing their noise show. And wow. he's like, oh, yeah, you know, it started off with piano and and buckets, you know, and, and, they're, and it's just getting louder and louder. And he's just such a music junkie. It's so funny to you know, experience it with them, even when I'm not listening to it. And, and, you know, at the same time to, to share it through text and knowing that he's beside himself at the, you know, the randomness that's going on in, in music is, is, is inspiring. So you, you brought up Baroness, which is really cool. Uh, that new record of theirs, Golden Gray, Dave Fridman produced that. And he's kind of, he thinks out of the box as far as production goes and mixing. I wanted to ask you, you worked with one of my other favorite producers, Bob Rock, how did that go for you guys? I mean, you had to know a lot about him beforehand. You know, he did the Black Album. He did all this stuff. He's kind of this larger-than-life guy. How did that get hooked up? And then how were the sessions with Bob? I don't know how it got hooked up. It was just, he was, he was, he was into it. You know, I, I guess, you know, we, we tried to track him down, send him the right demos. The scheduling worked out. You know, a lot of times it can it can be that because when you're producing, you're locked in for, you know, months. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Never, never know. Yeah. I don't know how it, exactly it's done. I know people dip in and dip out sometimes, but I know Bob Rock wasn't going to do that. Um, and it's got to be important for him to leave his ranch in Maui. Yeah. You know, he's not going to just do. He's not going to do that for anybody, and he doesn't have to. Nor I wouldn't do it for. Him. Yeah. Almost anybody, but it was it was great. He came in as a as like a father figure, really, in a, in the most serious way. He saw that we had like like um, a lot going on, um, not a not a not as much harmony as as could be going on. My cat tail gonna go by, yeah, cat tail. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, and he he put us back together again. We were we were splintering at that at that moment, and he was really really helpful, as you can kind of see him doing some kind of monster. He's a, he's a good like um, social emotional awareness guy, and helped us out a lot. And it was it was fun kind of learning so many new tricks from him. I've I've never seen anybody uh, dial uh, a pedal like him, or or even the outboard equipment in a in a studio. Um, getting a reverb sound, getting a kick drum sound, you know, or, or getting this perfect distortion out of, of bass, you know, and how much, how much fun it is to uh, watch a master at work in the real time with nobody else there, but, but us. Get your butt out of the screen. <laughs> to all the listeners that aren't watching the video, there's, there's a, what's the cat's name, man? That's Gamma. Gamma, that's cool. <laughs> Gamma's Gamma's Gamma needs some attention. <laughs> so working with Bob, you brought up some kind of monster. You said you used to be a metalhead. I'm sure you probably are an occasional Metallica listener. Did did that stuff ever come up with Bob? Were you ever like, hey, I want that bass sound that Newstead had, or I want that snare hit sound that that Lars had? Did that ever come up? No, not specifically like that. I mean, they I think I was always uh, tough on Metallica because they, you know, they mixed Cliff Burton out of the mix, you know, in those first three albums, he was barely even there. And then by the time Newstead came in and they turned it up and it was super trebly and just kind of checked out, yeah. you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really hold on to my Metallica roots as much as I held on to my Iron Maiden roots yeah. where they, you know, the bass was, an integral part. It was there all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It, 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 it was, it was, uh, there were other things to talk about. He's got, he's got so much going on. I think we talked about the cult, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and his, and his band that he was in and I don't know, everything was on the table. It was, it was such a good relationship. It was really, it was really great working with him over those, uh, more or less one and a half albums. Cause one of them was like, Eight, eight or nine songs not not very long but yeah it was it was great he's he's a genius he's he's in the position he's in because of what he does and how he does it and he's uh great with people and i would i would uh give him a recommendation if anyone wants to work with him i use this program uh from a company called tune track it's called easy mix and they have uh the bob rock series of presets and i gotta say man you don't even have to tweak them I mean, it's wow. like right out of the box. It sounds amazing. So yeah, shout out to Bob if he's listening, which he probably isn't because he's in Maui on his ranch. Yeah, he's got a time difference. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, you were talking about punk rock metal, the stuff like, you know, when you guys were younger. I really want to ask this uh, on everywhere on the internet. It says that your first show with 311 or not yours, but the first show as 311 was in Omaha, Nebraska, opening for Fugazi. Do, right. you, do you remember that show? Like, are there fond memories? Were you a Fugazi fan back then? I was. I mean, we had the the gig booked for a couple of months before it happened. And I and I took a trip with my high school to Washington, D.C., which was super fun, and had my tape player. And I had, I had three tapes with me. One of them was a Fugazi repeater. Um, the other one was P-Funk um you know some compilation of, of of parliament um 
and uh, the Everlast album, Forever Everlasting, before he before he went into House of Pain, and uh, and it was great. It was that's all I listened to. I couldn't believe the Fugazi album. I couldn't believe we were gonna play with them. I really didn't know their history, but I knew that it was gonna be, you know, incendiary, and uh, and we would be learning a lot because of you know, how, how they were making those sounds and what they were talking about yeah. really. Like, I think, I think that that struck me really deeply. And I think it, it hit the other guys in the band too, especially, you know, the lyricists, especially, but yeah, that was a great show. We, we, we had a, we had a fantastic uh, response at the first show in an audience that wasn't at ours at all, except for they were, you know, in the, from the same community as us and roughly the same age, but it was a $5 gig, just like every, every Fugazi show at that time and no merch, of course. Um, and they were no nonsense t-shirts and jeans and sweat and <laughs> keeping it really, really real. And it was incredible. It was one of the, one of the best shows I'd ever seen. It was one of the first shows I, I really ever saw, you know, it was in the first 10 shows I really ever saw and uh, to be on stage uh, feeling all that, energy that the excitement that the you know that they were going to get on stage was was pretty amazing so yeah i remember it real well that's all and that was the first 311 show right well technically speaking it was a it was a fish hippos show as that was our unfortunate first first name but <laughs> yeah. but we we had already we were 311 to to us but on the on the poster you'll see it as uh awesome i've got like one more question then i've got some listener questions i always wanted to know uh i used to when i I lived down in gulf shores alabama for a while after i moved back from jamaica and i played in like a cover band on the weekends just to have fun and we covered your cover of the cure's love song and i Uh i know that you guys did that song for the 51st date soundtrack the one thing that i really love about that song is that there's this whole new generation of people that love that song that have no idea it's a cover. You guys encapsulated that and just made it your own so well. Whose idea was it to do that song? And do you remember anything from the sessions for that song? Um, yeah. Um, Adam, it was Adam Sandler's idea. He approached us after a show and asked us if we were into doing it, you know, and, 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 and doing it reggae, reggae style. So it was pretty easy. It, 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 it fell together really nicely. I mean, it's just a little turn of the dial as far as uh, stylistically changing. It lends itself very well to becoming a reggae song, you know? Yeah, it just, it just, it really worked. And we were in a place where we, we knew our sound and we admired the cure as much as anybody. Um, so, you know, we knew it was kind of sacred territory. So it wasn't going to be like a authentic cover. We're not going to try and we're not going to try and make it a better song by playing it the same way. Yeah. We're going to make it, we're going to make it better by doing it our way. Not that, not that we made the song better, but like, I don't know, like it's, it'll be us. Yeah. Even if, even if they wrote it, it's, it's going to, it's going to sound like us. And, and in that way it, it fits into the set list wonderfully. Um, and it's just, it's really fun to play. It's, it's, it's great to forget that it's a cover every <laughs> once in a while because it is, it is, uh, you know, it, it did get kind of absorbed by us, yeah. but you know, I can't, I can't believe what, what that band was doing and how long they had been doing it. Same, same story, like stick to your guns, 
um, what's your sound? Who who are you as a band? I mean, The Cure is a is a perfect example of longevity in uh, in art and uh, having really a fixed idea of of what it's supposed to sound like. And then and then having range within that. They can be wacky and they can be super dark. You know, great musicians. It was is a lot to look up to. And like I said, it's sacred territory, so it was it was pretty risky. Well, I've had, I've had, well, I mean, I love that song. And I, I think you guys did a wonderful job as somebody that was in a band who are, I was in a band called the Ataris. Our biggest single ever was a cover of Don Henley's boys of summer. So a lot of people they are like, I've never heard of that band. I'm like, you've heard this. <laughs> so like people with 311, if I'm like, you never heard of this, I'll play them down or I'll play them that. And they're like, Oh, I love that band. So I totally feel it, man. <laughs> So I've had you on the line for a while. Uh, I do have some listener questions. Uh, you Thank you so much for sharing it on your socials. I always ask people on uh, Instagram if they want to ask a question. So I've got a couple if you wouldn't mind answering them. I don't know. Okay, here we go. So Luis from Instagram, he didn't tell me where he's from, but it was on Instagram. Luis says, where does the nickname Peanut come from? And I've always kind of wondered that as well. Uh, it comes from my head shape. My <laughs> My... Peanut shaped head, which was more peanut shaped when I was like 14 or 15 when the when the moniker was attached to me. But yeah, it was a, I don't know, it it sounded better than Aaron, you know, as far as as a musician or an artist. And I I've always looked up to Flea, and I think I think he probably felt the same way about being Michael. Yeah, <laughs> that, that that Flea would be something I don't know attached to more excitement and more emotion than than. Uh, or our, our given names but I, I like the, I also have always enjoyed the separation of the two like I'm Aaron at home and I'm you know out on the road and that's always I know kept things kept things on the level <laughs> that's cool well Luis thank you so much for your question Matthew from Virginia says what was the deciding factor in moving from a four string bass to a five string in 1994 um I was playing a five string bass a little bit before that but but it was just, I mean, it's the nature of the beast. I, I wanted the extended range. And that's the, that was the whole point. That's why uh, I think Anthony Jackson gets, gets credit for, for asking uh, Alembic to make them, make him a, a, a you know, a lower base. We, we need to go, we need to go lower. And I, I didn't really need to go higher until recently. I've got a six string base now, only had it maybe four or five years. But it's a it's a 1990. So for for companies to be making extended range bases, uh, even that that long ago is is pretty revolutionary. And it just goes with the sound. I mean, I re, I was learning an NXS song when I was a kid, and my teacher was like, "Well, that's a low D, so you're gonna have to detune." And I'm like, "What are you talking about? Like, you can't you can't detune. Like, what this is this this is the note. You know, it's right here." And he's, "Well, we'll listen to it. It's it's an octave lower than that." I'm like, "No way!" So I I got interested in it like that, and never wanted to just do the hip shot down down a step thing. That just didn't seem right. So um, I remember Flea had a a five string in the video under the bridge. And it's probably like it's one of the only times you'll ever really see him playing a five string. But you can hear it in his playing sometimes too. And I remember going to a club when we first moved out here um, to California, and there was a bass player playing a five string, and he did like an octave at the low C, and it filled up the room. It wasn't even loud, you know. It just went, vroosh. it just flooded flooded the room like a sonic wave that it was. And uh, 
And it just, it was so satisfying. I was like, okay, well, I'm doing that. Like I'm gonna, I gotta have that. And then, and then applying that, that extended range to um, reggae songs has been really, really satisfying because there's not, you know, there's so much purity in that, in that music most of the time that uh, a lot of times they'll just stick to the four, four strings because that's what family man does. And, you know, and, 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 you know, why, why, you know, why do something different when this is good enough? has never been good enough for me. So it's, it's nice to have that much room on the low end and, uh, and be the foundation, you know, a step and a half or two, two and a half steps lower than uh, a regular bass. I don't know, it adds to the uniqueness of the sound of the band too, cause it's all over down and, and all mixed up. You can't, you can't play it without playing it on a five string. Did, did you find that when you first made the transition since you were so used to playing on a four string that you had to kind of really work on it. Because like I have so many guitar students that come to me and they want to get an eight string or they want to get a seven string and I start to teach them on those guitars. But in my mind, I just, it's hard for me to transpose it to having that extra low string or two on the top. Did that give you an issue at the beginning? I, it still kind of gives me an issue. I mean, I still, I even my foundation is so four string. I think I, I think I hide it pretty well, but, but it's not, if I'm just wandering around on a base, uh, trying to just get out of my patterns, which is a, which is a 24 hour a day <laughs> yeah, uh, right. problem. Um, I rarely really wander, you know, on, on the, in the lower register, it's, it's so much easier to hear the melodies high, higher up choked up on the neck on, on a bass that, you know, I, I do that for riffs and stuff, but as I'm you know, trying to be melodic or just like, I'm trying to trick myself into new tricks. Um, yeah, it's still, it's still kind of uncharted territory. And then having the six string is really just a lot of fun. Turn on the delay, turn on a phaser and just, um, try and try and do something different, you know, that sounds good because I can, I can do different garbage <laughs> yeah. and I can, and I can do the same and I can do the same thing all the time. And I've got a lot of, you know, I've got a lot in that trick bag, but I'm always trying to do something different. And it's all about, um, you know, learning, learning new songs from different bands. I'm trying to learn the pot by tool right now, wow. which is inc- incredibly difficult. Yeah. And I've, and I've got it on my to-do list, but I don't know if it's possible or not because someone mentioned it's like, it's an impossible song and, and it's like a glitch in the matrix <laughs> in uh, Tommy, the cat by Primus. Okay. Awesome. So it's, yeah. So yeah I'm, I would I'm say any, any Primus would probably be a little bit harder than most other songs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm saving that for when and if I get the pot right. Cause the pot's all about just executing the rhythmic kind of landmines that, that tool lays down for you that you've got to hit and, uh, and how, how satisfying it really is when you even get a, a part of it. And then Tommy the cat is just a dexterity contest at full speed. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and this is something I'm still learning too, but is, but has been a good lesson in my, my teaching of myself is to of course play it slow first. You know, I, I never want to do that. That's not what I want to do. I have to remind myself that that's the way I'm going to get it right. <laughs> if I'm, if I'm ever going to get it right. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for that question. I have one more listener question. Sonia from Iowa said in an interview one time, Nick mentioned that you were into numerology. She would like to know how far down the rabbit hole you have full fallen with numerology and has it impacted your life? 
Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I lean on it as, as much as anything. It's, it's, it's false, true and meaningless. You know, it's, it's not, it's not anything to really base your life on. And, but, but there's also lots of reality to it as well. I mean, you, you can make it as real as, as anything, just like anything. And, and I haven't gone that, that deep because I, I can be, you know, you know, uh, gaseous about my, my ideas, but yeah, there's a, there's a time and place. Um, the thing about numbers is you can attach any kind of meaning to them. If you, if you're that really fixed on it, on, on meaning being in a, in a number or a symbol, um, you can make it anything you want. So I, I've always kind of enjoyed that. And the thing that I, he's talking about is in the text that I was reading at the time, we're saying that the number three was uh, man and 11 is magic. And I thought that was a cool thing for, for the band to kind of, I don't know, not focus on, but, yeah. but that, that was kind of synchronous to who we are as uh, making something out of nothing like, like magic and uh and and just being all all dudes <laughs> you know the one thing that always really bummed me out is that uh you know you guys are always so positive and you know you took out the anti-racist action people on the road with you and everything there were a lot of kids when i was growing up that speaking of numerology and assigning stuff to numbers they said that 311 was three k's I mean, did that ever bum you out that like you guys have this persona of being such a positive you know, open, tolerant group of guys. And then someone puts that out into the universe. Is that weird for you? Um, yeah, it was, it was super weird. It was, it was like to the core offensive because it's the opposite of, of what we are. Yeah. Um, but it was also the easiest thing to defend too. So, you know, given our philosophy and our, and our racial makeup, like we're not all, not all white guys. So, yeah. You know, we wouldn't, we, you know, S.A. Martinez wouldn't be, <laughs> wouldn't be in a band that was, you know, co secret code for KKK. It just didn't make any sense. And when it did come out, it was actually, it was national news. It was on CNN for a second because um, the Omaha, there was an Omaha school. It was the school that, that Nick and Chad and Tim went to in Westside that like banned our t-shirts. So it was, it's just like, it's just like everything. Like if the, if the crazy right wing shows up and tries to understand these ideas and they, and they make a big deal about it, they're not making it better for them. They're making it better for us <laughs> as artists, right? It was the, it was like some of the best press. We, it was the best press we had ever had at the, at the time. And everyone who knew us and, and knows us knows that it's so far away from the truth that it was laughable. So it was, uh, you know, it was, it was like that weird kind of backhanded, good luck, honestly. And then in, in enlarged to show detail three, I addressed it directly and, and, and got, you know, really enjoyed that, you know, to be able to just put that out there where it's like, you know, there's no, there's no room for, for that. We will not tolerate intolerance. We are intolerant to intolerance. And that is, and that's the, you know, that's the level we're on and uh, anyone that wants to challenge us with that can go back home because we've been writing about it for you know 25 years and um yeah it's being anti-racist is the is the only only way to go you guys are the only thing you're not tolerant of 
is intolerance. I like that. <laughs> Isn't that great? It's kind of like the, you know, just because we're positive, we won't kick your ass. Yeah. Although <laughs> I'm know, the nicest it, it, guy in the world, but if you, you know, come at me, you might be leaving with some crutches, you know? <laughs> exactly. And there's a time and place. And it's, yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, we're human. We're, we're, we've been a progressive force. I feel like in, in our little way, um, and that's another thing that's kind of kept us together and kept us happy as a unit and, you know, helped us navigate even these present tense times is that, you know, we know that uh, the good the good will outweigh the bad. Uh, we're going to make through all of this and uh, we got to stick together and make the best out of it the, the best we can. Well, I think that's a pretty good place to kind of tie this chat up. I do want to talk about the future. Uh, I got a, your publicist sent me some stuff you guys have some stuff coming up that are kind of COVID like kind of stuff. You have three live streams planned where you're going to do uh, your first three classic records, music, grassroots and self-titled. Uh, you have two drive-in shows. Can you tell me how all of that came about and like how much work is involved with getting that stuff ready? Uh, we've been talking about it since like May or June. So it's, it's been a lot of work. Um, our studio, The Hive, has been uh, redirect, uh, redecorated and, uh, and made it more uh, video friendly, which has been something that's needed for the longest time. Get that, get that stank out of there. And, uh, and it's just, it's gonna be great. We're, we're playing with a medium that we're all interested in uh, as far as video and, and, and broadcast and, and, and you know within the realm of performance. It's gonna be really exciting. And then, the drive-in show, I mean, it sounds like something we were talking about when we were kids as far as um, show up with a flatbed truck, plug into the local power source if it's a if it's attached to a pole and someone doesn't mind getting shocked a little bit, plug into that and uh, and and we'll rock out anywhere. You know, we, were, we always talked about um, doing like a circus thing, grabbing some tents and some generators and playing anywhere yeah possibly muncie possibly <laughs> muncie you know and do, doing it like the the revivalist kind of you know we're we're going anywhere the crowd will come you build it they will come so the drive-in thing just kind of makes sense too it it sucks that people have to stay in their vehicle or stay stay away from each other but you know it's, it's better than nothing and from what i've seen people are really enjoying it and, uh, and those people are the people that are on stage. So I can't wait. <laughs> well, Hey, if you guys want to come do some kind of drive-in show in Muncie, we have a drive-in theater. I bet. And I, bet. I, I will put you guys in contact with whoever owns it and we'll hang out, man. <laughs> 311 and Baroness in Muncie. We're going to hook it up, man. Definitely. So, Ooh. uh, and all of that information, just so we get this out there so people can check it out is at 311streamsystem.com. Correct. Right. Awesome. So check that out if you guys are interested. Uh, the three live streams on November 11th, they're doing music. On December 11th, they're doing Grassroots. And on January 11th, they're doing the self-titled, which I... Have you guys ever done that where you play a whole record before? Yeah, we've done it here and there. Um, for the events, we've, we've done it um, here and there. Um, on the anniversaries of the albums, um, the, the 10s and the 20s, uh, and the, now the thirties, we, we would do, um, not three of them, but, yeah. um, uh, yeah, it's something to really look forward to. And, um, 
I think the fans will really, really dig it. I know some of the fans are asking me if, if we're just going to play the album and that's going to be it, you know, if that's all they're getting for their, for their ticket price. And there's going to, they're going to be able to see some setup, which I think will be really interesting. I know people show up early to, to watch that at, at shows. I know, I know I do, but you know, I'm, I'm into it. Um, but also I think we're going to take some questions. We're going to, we're going to try and be interactive in our stream. So it's not, you know, just like a canned performance that could have happened at any time. Yeah. Uh, it's people are going to be able to, uh, you know, ask us questions and, uh, and we'll find a way to, uh, you know, be in touch with how they're, how they're experiencing the stream and then, you know, relate, relate to it, uh, from the band's point of view. So it, I'm really looking forward to it and the drive-in show, it's going to be great to just be on stage. And I've, I've always wanted to play in the round. Um, the only chance we've gotten is to be on like the circular stage that K rock puts you on and, turns you turn you that's only half it's nearly halfway around <laughs> yeah. that's like a normal stage so so it'll be nice to get the full circle in it and, and that'll be great to uh you know just get all that tension out i really want to uh you know share that time with the the guys too and having an audience around only makes it the better so it's going to be great okay so last question before i let you get out of here you're doing these three first records now i know there's songs on all of those records that you guys play at every concert on the set list, but I'm sure there's some deep cuts that maybe you hadn't touched for a couple decades. Right. How was like, was there a process of going back in and like, did it, was it like riding a bike? Did it just come back to you? Uh, more or less. I mean, I, it, it's been, I'm more exploring new ideas than, than playing old songs at this point. But those first three albums, those were tours of hundred plus shows frequently and years of hundred plus shows, you know, in those first three years, it was like 93, 94, 95, those albums came out and we, we toured every, you know, as much as we could when we weren't in the studio, really. So we've got those songs on, on deep, deep recall. And it's easy to bring that back up for, for us as we've played them so many times. So it, it it won't be any trouble, and you know of course the first three times you play them as a band will be hilarious, and no one gets to watch that except for for us. That's what you should add for the ticket price to get those the VIP stuff, right? I I agree. the the clunky the clunky getting warmed up yeah, sound yeah it would be something fun to share, but we're not <laughs> we're not that comfortable with ourselves yeah. But but yeah, you can you can feel it like tightening up as 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 Chad and me make sense of each other and you know all of us together. But but you know it's the it's the muscle memory meets new strength meets fighting the cob- cobwebs that. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great. It's a great feeling. And this is the longest time we haven't played together. So it'll be really, really funny. Awesome. So everybody yeah. check that out. 311streamsystem.com for the three live streams and uh, information on the drive-in shows as well. Uh, Peanut, I've had a blast. Thank you so much for coming on the show. What are your socials and the band socials so people can check you guys out? Um, we're at 311 on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I'm Peanut P N U T on Twitter. Um, Aaron underscore Wills on Instagram. Um, I respond at a high rate. <laughs> you can check the numbers; they're out there. <laughs> uh, and I love I love it as a as like a 
communicating person, it's 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 great to see what people are thinking about um, in in social in the social world and social justice in music and film and creativity, um, food, um, LA centric stuff is is great to know more about you know where I'm at right now and you know, being able to pay attention to the fires. Uh, like an immediate access has been been incredible. So, yeah, I just think more more communication the better. Um, I hope you're having fun doing this podcast. I'm kind of jealous because I I like the idea of talking to people. So that's why I say yes to these things because I enjoy it as as much as you do. It's a blast, man. Like I tell you, I uh, I used to be a touring musician on the road 300 days a year, whatever you want to say. And when I had my kids and that part of my life kind of ended, I needed something to feel connected to, you know, old friends from the road and new friends like you from the road. And I've been doing this now for close to three years. And I got to say, man, it's one of the best things I've ever done in my life. So thank you for being a part of it. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Anytime. Let's do it again. And I'll tell you what, man, when you guys have new stuff, come back, we're going to chat, but I'm also, I'm going to hook this Baroness tour up, man. You just wait. I'll hook I'll hit you up on Instagram. <laughs> Good. Please do. Say bye, Clay. Bye. Bye. Thank you guys very much. <laughs> Have a great night and I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Right on. Take care. So there it was. My conversation with Mr. Aaron Peanut Wills from 311. I would like to thank Peanut so much for his time. And I would think, like to thank him for not getting too upset with me when I called him Mr. Peanut. Uh, I wasn't really thinking when I said that. It was pretty funny. But I had a blast chatting with him and hopefully... We can get him back on the show in the future, maybe when 311 has something new out, or who knows, you know, in, in year seven of this pandemic, maybe he'll want to come back and just shoot the shit with me. But uh, it'd be awesome to do it in person if they can ever, you know, put that Baroness tour together, which I'm going to do everything I can to to help them facilitate that. But uh, make sure to check out their two remaining live streams on December 11th and January 11th. December 11th, they're playing Grassroots in its entirety. And on January 11th, they're playing the self-titled Blue Record in its entirety. All of the information is over at 311streamsystem.com. Or if you can't remember that, you can find everything and everything 311, the coolest stuff in the world, over at 311.com. That is 311.com. So that is it for this week. Thank you so much. Every week I say it. Every week I mean it. You guys come back week after week, and it's it's wonderful. I really appreciate all the support, all the emails that I get, all the stuff on social media. Uh, the TOTOT community Facebook group is great. I post something in there, and you guys go crazy telling me all the answers. So it's it's wonderful. I feel like we really do have a community, and I appreciate all of you out there for listening, taking the time out of your busy schedule to listen to me ramble about stupid stuff. But uh, this is a lot of fun. I love this podcast. And this is episode 134. If you would have told me three years ago I'd be at 134 on this thing, I would not have believed you. But once again, thank you so much for the support. I totally, totally appreciate everything. Make sure to sign up for the new mailing list and grab some merchandise. Head on over to TOTOTpodcast.com and get connected. So before I jump out of here, you know what I'm going to say if you listen to this podcast. I'm going to play some music. 
because that's what I do. This is a music podcast, so I want to play some music. I want to play DJ. Uh, I'm going to start it off with one of my favorite 311 songs, Beautiful Disaster, from their 1997 record, Transistor. And then I'm going to follow it up with the song that started it for me, that first got me into the band. It's a song called Homebrew from their 1994 record, Grassroots, which I said previously on their December 11th live stream, they are playing it in its entirety. So if you like Grassroots, if that's one of your records you dig for 311, sign up for the live stream on December 11th. Like I said, 311streamsystem.com or 311.com. So that's it. I love you guys and gals, and I will catch you next week. As always, this is Chris. Peace.
Fredrickson from Rancid. This is Mark O'Connell from Taking Back Sunday. This is Tom from MXPX. Hey, this is Jay Bentley from Bad Religion. This is Vinny from Less Than Jake. This is Travis from Coheed and Cambria. This is Chris number two for the band Anti-Flag. Hey, this is Ricky Rocket from Poison. This is Pete Parada from The Offspring. Hey, this is Zach Blair from Rise Against. Hey, this is Eddie from the band Thrice. Hi, this is Frank Turner. Hey, this is Jim from Pennywise. Hey, this is Eric Smelly, the drummer of No Effects. Hi, this is Bill from Faith and More. Hey, this is Chris from Propagandy. Hi, this is Rory from No East for Name. Hi, this is Ben Gilly. I'm Silverchair. This is Stefan from Descendants, and you're listening to That One Time On Tour with Chris Swinney. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Grey Street.